This is the show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Well, we've entered now into the season of Lent, this preparatory penitential season uh, that prepares us to meditate on the Paschal mystery. Maybe I should say that prepares us to ponder the Paschal mystery. We're going to keep that that alliteration going here. Um, this, this season is, we're kind of in a weird spot in this season. If you look at the Liturgy of the Hours or at the Missal, you'll notice that we are today on the Saturday after Ash Wednesday. We've not yet entered into, quote-unquote, the weeks of Lent. Uh, that starts tomorrow as we have the, the Sunday, the f- Sunday of the first week of Lent. So, Right now, we're on this kind of anteroom into the season of Lent. And Lent is, has this long history in the church, uh, founded on the, the, the time when catechumens who were preparing to come into the church and enter into full communion, they would have this penitential season to prepare themselves to enter into participation in that Paschal mystery. We do have a lot of peas here today. Um, and so here they are preparing to participate in the Paschal mystery. And at some point in time, the church just decided, you know, it's really good for us all to have this time of preparation, not just the catechumens, all of us to prepare ourselves to ponder and participate in this Paschal mystery uh, of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, and our entry into the family of God through that means. So um, the practice is typically now that we enter into this penitential season through certain practices. Now, if you've spent any time around the Catholic Church or really any liturgically-based church, uh, ecclesial community, you will have noticed that typically people give something up for Lent. There's prayer and there's fasting and and there's this, I'm going to give up Dr. Pepper for Lent. I'm going to give up TV for Lent. I'm going to do this extra uh, ascetic practice like um, uh, maybe I'm going to sleep on the floor or take cold showers or some other thing that says I'm going to kind of experience a little bit of hardship and penitence this season so that I can rejoice in the joys of Easter uh, that are coming so that I can fully enter into those and embrace those and and live them to the full. Now, over the last several years, I've done a number of different practices, whether it be give up the little video games that I have on my phone or whether it's the whole go gray for Lent, which I still love, where you turn all of the uh, all of the screens to grayscale so you don't get to to see all the color and kind of be distracted by that. Or to give up, like I said earlier, to give up Dr. Pepper or to give up something that just kind of makes me long for it so that in the longing, then I can turn myself to prayer. That's kind of been my normal way of doing things. But I'm looking at Lent a little bit differently this year, even in a different way than I looked at it last year. Uh, I'm on this this continual journey towards maybe new understandings, at least for myself, of this season. And the one that's hitting me this year, and I think partly because I'm watching my children engage with Lent, is the importance of selecting that Lenten penance with the end in mind. 
right? Not just, oh, well, I'm going to give this thing up so that I pray more, but something a little bit more outwardly focused. In fact, I came across this quote from St. John Chrysostom uh, as I was preparing for the show today, and I wanted to, to share it with you because I think that it's so central to a good practice of this season, and, and I think that it's going to tie into our discussion here today, today very well. So this is St. John Chrysostom in his uh, homilies for the first epistle of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Uh, this is homily 25, somewhere there in the middle of it. And he says, For no virtuous action can be very exalted when it does not distribute its benefit to others also, as is shown by the one who brought the talent back safe and was cut in sunder because he had not made more of it. And you, brother, though you remain without food, though you sleep on the ground, though you eat ashes and be ever wailing and do no good to others, you will do no great work. So here is this idea that our penance, our Lenten penance, has to be more than just an inwardly focused practice of virtue, because all virtue ultimately leads us outward. All prayer leads us outward because we pray and then are, are spurred on to action. As, uh, as Paul says in his letter, um, the love of Christ urges us on. And so here we see that this practice of virtue has to go outward. And in fact, those three pillars of the season of Lent are prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. So we see that the fasting is that thing that helps us to regulate our appetites. And it's not just our appetites for food, it's our appetites for pleasure and for, for ease and for whatever else it is that we have grown accustomed to. Uh, when, we, when we're accustomed to just giving ourselves whatever it is that we crave at that moment, then we need to exercise our will and to bring those things under control and to realize for ourselves that we don't have to be controlled by those appetites. We can exert control over them through an act of the will by the grace of the Holy Spirit. That's really important. So that fasting is going to help us accomplish that. Uh, the prayer, this connection to God in a, in a deep and abiding way is essential. And I'm going to talk about that here in a little bit as well. Uh, and then ultimately leading us to this place where we seek this virtue that moves outward and feeds the souls of others as well. So to help inform our discussion today, I'm going to start with a reading from church history. I know that we typically save that for the end. I've got another one for the end, but I wanted to start with this sermon by St. Leo the Great that I think is going to help us understand the, the broader strokes of this conversation. And this comes from the Liturgy of the Hours, from the Breviary, the Office of Readings for the Thursday after Ash Wednesday, if you want to go look it up later. Dear friends, at every moment, the earth is full of the mercy of God. And nature itself is a lesson for all the faithful in the worship of God. The heavens, the sea, and all that is in them bear witness to the goodness and omnipotence of their Creator. And the marvelous beauty of the elements as they obey Him demands from the intelligent creation a fitting expression of its gratitude. 
But with the return of that season marked out in a special way by the mystery of our redemption and of the days that lead up to the Paschal Feast, we are summoned more urgently to prepare ourselves by a purification of spirit. The special note of the Paschal Feast is this. The whole church rejoices in the forgiveness of sins. It rejoices in the forgiveness not only of those who are then reborn in holy baptism, but also of those who are already numbered among God's adopted children. Initially, men are made new by rebirth of baptism, yet there is still required a daily renewal to repair the shortcomings of our mortal nature. Whatever degree of progress has been made, there is no one who should not be more advanced. All must therefore strive to ensure that on the day of redemption, no one may be found in the sins of his former life. Dear friends, what the Christian should be doing at all times should be done now with greater care and devotion so that the Lenten fast enjoined by the apostles may be fulfilled not simply by abstinence from food, but above all by the renunciation of sin. There is no more profitable practice as a companion to holy and spiritual fasting than that of almsgiving. This embraces under the single name of mercy many excellent works of devotion, so that the good intentions of all the faithful may be of equal value, even where their means are not. The love that we owe both God and man is always free from any obstacle that would prevent us from having a good intention. The angels sang glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. The person who shows love and compassion to those in any kind of affliction is blessed, not only with the virtue of goodwill, but also with the gift of peace. The works of mercy are innumerable. Their variety brings this advantage to those who are true Christians, that in the matter of almsgiving, not only the rich and affluent, but also those of average means and the poor are able to play their part. Those who are unequal in their capacity to give can be equal in the love within their hearts. That reading comes from a sermon by St. Leo the Great, and I think that this is for us to spend some time meditating on. Our Lenten practice should lead us to some sort of almsgiving, whether monetary or not, that we care for and look to the needs of others as part of our Christian practice, that we can't be so focused on the insular nature of personal enrichment of personal spiritual growth to the exclusion of that giving to others what they do, what they need for their own spiritual good and their own spiritual advancement, not just our own, but theirs as well. And I think in doing this, by, by trying to balance as best as we can these three pillars, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, and not neglecting this external practice of almsgiving, then we can enter into an especially fruitful celebration of this season of Easter. So uh, why is it that we have these three in 
in balance and in concert together. I think that it's because if we neglect all, all three, we enter into different spiritual traps. If we simply focus on one or on two of these, we're going to miss something essential about our practice of this season. So I want to talk about that specifically, the balance of the three. And over the season of Lent, I intend to to look at some of these individually and the interplay between them. But today I just want to spend some time looking at the balance and what happens when we go out of balance with that that practice, with those three pillars. What happens when we don't keep them uh, all in mind at the same time? So to talk about this today, I've welcomed my wife again into studio. Kristen, thank you for being with us today. Of course, love. Happy to be here. So let's talk uh, about some specific experiences. Uh, I grew up in a, in a liturgical tradition outside of the Catholic Church where we practiced Lent, but really the focus of Lent was largely on the the, the abstinence, the giving something up. Now, of course, we did it differently. Like we gave up a thing that we kind of liked and it was, it was almost, um, it was, it was way more than Catholic light. I mean, it was way lighter than that because <laughs> we didn't do the, the, the fasting or abstinence like at all, but you would right. pick, you would pick a token thing and say, Ooh, I'm giving this up for like, kind of like you would do a new year's resolution and say, I'm going to do this every day. And everybody knew just like with the New Year's resolution, that this really probably wasn't going to stick. But it was still a practice that you had to do, right? You had to pick the thing so that you could tell other people you were doing it. I'm sure that there are people in the tradition that I came from who took Lent seriously (laughs) in a way that was spiritually beneficial for them. I can't say that it was terribly spiritually beneficial for me and my experience of it, I know, like me growing up, you know, I was not in a liturgically oriented denomination, so or denominations. And so I was vaguely aware of Lent. Like, I mean, I knew that Lent was a thing. I knew that people did it. I remember there were a few years where we like did things as a family. Like I remember once we gave up TV as a family. And I specifically remember that because I remember eating my like after school popcorn snack while listening to adventures in odyssey instead um and so so yeah like but as i got older i don't really remember lent being a thing because it just it wasn't practiced in the churches that we were in yeah so that definitely came later for me and so when when we met around the time that you were in in college Mm-hmm. We were both going to a kind of a non-denominational kind of a church, but it had some liturgical leanings to it. And they did. they did some Lenten things and they even did like a Stations of the Cross that was really kind of impactful for us before mm-hmm. we were Catholic and had right. experienced the way that we do it here. Um, but one of the things that I recall from that experience was not my own experience of Lent, but someone else's. I'm one of our mutual friends. Uh, And so let's just look at this fasting aspect, the giving something up for Lent when it's held out of balance with the other pillars. And I look at this friend's experience who had grown up in the church, or rather had not grown up in the church, uh, and had maybe in high school come into Christianity, was here in college and graduated from college, and 
was attempting this Lenten practice because everyone around him had told him it was a good thing. And he, he picked a fairly challenging thing to him. I don't recall what it was, but I recall that um, about maybe five weeks into Lent, so we're close to the end, he was just absolutely demoralized and at his wit's end because he either was having difficulty keeping the fast and maybe had broken that that promise a couple of times that he had made to himself of the thing he was going to give up. Whatever it was, he entered into a despondency because there was this, this thought of, if I can just keep my Lenten fast, then I will be spiritually mature and I will grow and I will be good and God will love me. He didn't specifically say those words, but there was this very specific sense that he was making an effort to find acceptance in, in this participation in the divine mystery. And in his failure uh, or his perceived failure to keep this fast, he saw the futility of it. Why, why am I giving up this thing that I enjoy? Why does this even matter? To the point that he left the church and, and has not returned to my knowledge. Um, and I, so I look at this and it gives me pause as a parent to say, how am I communicating Lent to my children? Because we do the thing, like we tell the children, oh, you're all giving up sweets for Lent. Woohoo! That's less, <laughs> less candy that we... And, and honestly, there's always so much sweets in the house because it's always somebody's birthday, right? Mm-hmm. There's always a cake somewhere nearby. Yeah, by the time we get here, we've had four cakes already since January. Right. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. So, uh, you know, for us, it's like, oh, we're giving up cake. But I, I, I have to look at this and say, but what are we communicating in the midst of that? If it's just about the giving up and we don't bring in the, the, the prayer and the almsgiving, and not, not just the rote prayer, but the connecting with God, connecting with the divine, and then connecting with our neighbor. If we leave that out and it all becomes about this performative, I'm going to give something up for Lent, then we could, as parents, we could end up sabotaging that thing that we're most trying to cultivate. Kind of like if you overwater a garden, right? <laughs> you put the thing out, you say, ooh, I'm going to have this beautiful flower. I'm going to make sure you have all the life. And then you just kind of keep watering it until it just says, I'm done. No, I'm, we're good. No more water. Right. So I don't know. I mean, I feel like it was the last couple of years that really the idea of the taking up a practice as well became something in my consciousness. Like and maybe the, that was the thing before, but I didn't know about it. This And this is so sad because we've been Catholic for 10 years now, right? I right. Mean, so uh, maybe it's been more than a couple of years. I mean, all the years kind of meshed together at some point. <laughs> and it's like, how long have we been <laughs> doing this again? Oh, well, maybe we've, it's not just we've been year. sequestered for two years. Right. Now, and that's worse. So. That's making it worse. That's true. So it's probably a few more than that. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, um, and I... The, the fasting is important to make sure that, you know, like you were talking about in the first part of the um, overcoming those desires, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I have found the taking up of 
which ultimately also ends up you are giving something up because you're replacing it with something. You are spending your time in a different way, even if just for a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and so in a way, it is still giving up of something else too, whether that's just you know, scrolling on your phone or whatever. Um, I have found that to be more fruit-bearing than, than just the giving up. Right. Well, and the giving the, the benefit of the giving up is to say, I don't have to be mastered by my desires, mm -hmm. right? There is that, but that can't be the fullness of our experience, right? Right. And, and honestly, going back to our friend from uh, from college, if if we get to the place where we find failure in trying to master our desires, without this sense of the mercy of God that mm. that floods this season, then then we end up in a worse off place, mm -hmm. right? That we white knuckle our way through the Lenten practices rather than allowing ourselves to be fed by the graces of God that would then carry us through, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and so... And the, I love Lent. I mean, when those coming to recognize the, like, the failings, I feel like that is an, maybe an important part of Lent, and that sounds weird. It's like it's a good thing that you have failed on your <laughs> your goals. <laughs> but but there is such a grace there. I mean, it's it's purgatory before purgatory, at least like like on on these little purgatories. I don't know. <laughs> so a couple of years ago, uh our our daughter uh very often outfasts us. Yes. Like she will think of the absolute worst penance her little mind can think of. And that's the <laughs> thing she's so like, well, gosh, when she first decided maybe at seven years old that she was going to practice Lent and mm -hmm. practice it with us. She's like, I'm going to give up all television. And whenever my siblings watch television, I'm going to go pray a rosary and a chaplet of divine mercy. And she did it. And has every year since. Just about, yeah. Think, so Yeah, that's a yearly thing for her. A oh. couple of years ago, it was uh, it was one of those times that you and I had to be somewhere. She's kind of the oldest responsible one. Uh, and so we were leaving the house and they were watching a movie. And she's like, but I, I gave up. I gave up movies for Lent. And I said, well, your penance today is that you can't give up movies for Lent because I need you to be in this room. <laughs> Uh, and it just, it was very difficult for her because it felt like a failure. And, mm -hmm. and I think that sometimes we need to give ourselves not permission to fail. Right. It can't just be, oh, well, I'm supposed to fail so I can, you know, yeah. we shouldn't go on sinning that, that grace may grace increase. May abound, right. right? That's, <laughs> like, that's not <laughs> what we're saying here. But there is this sense that I need to be able in the midst of my weaknesses to recognize that Lent is not about my effort, right? It, yes, I need to grow in virtue. Yes, I need to uh, to control my desires and to be self-controlled. But we remember that mm -hmm. self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's something that we receive in its fullness when we are connected in and, and have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Mm -hmm. And so if we're trying to just pick a difficult fast and white knuckle our way through it without the aid of the graces, 
then all we're doing is setting ourselves up to be demoralized in one way or another. And ultimately, this comes down to a question of intention, right? You can have the same fast with, with an intention uh, to not to earn God's favor, but to participate in, in gratitude for what God's given you, right? There is this sense of, if anyone would follow me, let him take up his cross, deny himself and follow me. There is room for that and, and, and necessity for that mm-hmm. in the life of discipleship. Uh, but that comes, again, with that idea of connection, that when we deny ourselves, we're doing it for that closeness with Christ to follow him. And it's not just, I'm going to make myself good enough to follow him. Uh, that's one of the things that with this this oldest uh, child, oldest daughter of ours that we're talking about that that picks up these really not quite extreme, but really difficult penances, uh, is this year we're talking to her about lessening those. She's feeling the pressure of of having to meet and exceed her practice before because she's supposed to be growing in the spiritual life. Therefore, it's got to get harder. And so I've got to pick something more difficult. Mm-hmm. And so this year, I kind of sat down with her as we're beginning the Lenten season and said, you know what? Maybe we need to pick something different this year. Maybe we need to take the pressure away because it's not about, uh, oh, no, if I fail, then I have failed and I'm no longer worthy, right? Mm -hmm. The purpose of these is for a deeper connection with God and not merely performative piety, uh, not merely this, oh, look at what I was able to pull off. (laughs) And we're sitting here and I'm having this conversation with her and I said, you know, you've done some really, uh, really difficult penances in the past, haven't you? And she said, yeah. I said, uh, are you proud of that? She said, yeah. I said, yeah. So now we need to work on the pride. (laughs) (laughs) There's this sense of it's not about how much we can do if it's not connected to deep virtue and growing in connection with Christ. Right. Well, I mean, isn't that the whole of the Christian life? Like it's definitely highlighted here in Lent where we're all thinking about trying to give things up and trying to, you know, it's like they, well, you'll have like a encouragement from someone's like, Oh, you know, don't just give up candy or chocolate, like do something harder, (laughs) you know? And, And it's not bad to be challenged, but it can't just be for challenge's sake. the whole of the Christian life, if we're trying to just white knuckle our way through it and to do our best, we're going to fail every time. I mean, that's the whole gospel is that we can't do it and we need Christ. And it's, it's about coming to understand and to realize how much we need him. And even if that is just that we need him to stay away from the chocolate bar, we we need him to do it. And if, if he's not there with us, it's it's pointless. We're talking today about our Lenten observance and the, the importance of balancing these three pillars of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Come over to our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls and be a part of this conversation. What does your Lenten practice look like this year? And don't go anywhere. There's much more right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL, and today we are here at the very beginning of the Lenten season talking about balancing our Lenten practice. These three pillars of prayer and fasting and almsgiving, which are central to this Lenten experience, are, are meant to be held in balance and intention with one another, uh, because when we maybe overemphasize one or or worse, completely ignore one, it's going to lead us to, I think, different errors and things that are going to actually harm our spiritual life rather than strengthening our spiritual life. Uh, so I'd love to hear uh, what your Lenten practices this year. Maybe uh, maybe it's changed over the course of this conversation. Maybe you've decided to pick up and strengthen one of those other pillars, or maybe you've got a really great practice that I would benefit from hearing about. Maybe I want to pick up something new in my Lenten observance or someone else among our listening audience. So why don't you come and share that? Be a part of the ongoing conversation over on social media, which you can find at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. That's where I'm most active. But we do also have a presence on Twitter if that's your preference. Uh, you can find that by going to at outside the walls. That's the handle there. I'd love to hear from you what does your Lenten observance look like? Maybe uh, you want to tell me a challenge, a difficulty that you've had in a previous Lenten experience and how you are seeking to overcome that this Lenten season. So we're talking today with my darling bride. We're talking a little bit about our personal experiences, both with trying to pass on this practice of Lent to our children and some about our own struggles and successes with the Lenten observances. Kristen, thank you again for being on in the studio with us. Of course, love. So we talked uh, in the first segment about the danger of fasting, of giving something up for Lent without the picking up of other practices, of, of the, the prayer and the almsgiving. I want to talk now about the the difficulty of uh, as earlier we were talking about how the the problems with overemphasizing fasting. I want to talk about the dangers of underemphasizing fasting. If we're spending all of our time in prayer and seeking to connect with God, but we're not going about the difficult work of making ourselves disciples, of submitting ourselves to a certain kind of rigor that says, I'm going to put to death, as Paul says, my earthly desires, my fleshly desires, and I'm going to feed my spirit uh, so that I can can grow, right? So um, I look at this and I, th I see a kind of maybe permissiveness with oneself, a laxity. We talked a little bit about the, the danger of, of maybe scrupulosity or, or being too hyped up on, on doing it right. But I think there's also a danger in saying, you know what, I'm not going to worry too much about this. I'm just going to pray and connect with God and I don't really need to practice any kind of self-control. There's danger there because we are made for more than our current state. Yes, it's important for us during our Lenten experience to experience some amount of failure so that we recognize we can't do it all on our own. But 
there is still the need for development and for growth and for making ourselves more and more like Christ and doing that in a way that sometimes has to put to death our our desires because the things we weren't want are not always exactly holy. Right. And I mean it does it feels kind of funny to say well prayer isn't enough. Um <laughs> but at the same time I mean it, it's walking that balance beam mm-hmm. right between I mean well all three of them but specifically thinking about prayer and fasting at the moment and how you have to try yeah. <laughs> right but not strive to do it all by yourself but then you don't also I'm like oh well I don't have to do that part I'm just going to come over here and, and it, it, it it is such a balancing act I think to strike the to, good spot right. <laughs> you know I, I think of um, this idea that oh I'm I all I need to do well honestly the picture uh, in the Sistine Chapel of creation this mm-hmm. really famous image where you have God creating Adam and there's this Adam is kind of got his hand and it's just really relaxed and it's loose. Relaxed. He's like, Oh yeah, I'm just going to lift my arm up a little bit, but the fingers are kind of falling down and you see Adam is very chill, right? Mm-hmm. He's reclined and super relaxed and God is straining <laughs> And his whole body is stretched out and he's straining and he's pointing his finger as far as he can point it to come into contact with Adam. And of course, he's telling us something specific about that creation story that God is the one who has initiated everything, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that there's something for us there in this idea of of our discipleship as well, that, well, how, you know, you're praying and you're trying to connect with God, but how much effort are you putting into that reaching for God? Yeah, God is the one who has to bridge the gap. He's the one who's making all of the the, uh, the action happen, right? Mm-hmm. The graces of God are necessary, and we can't make that that uh, that connection on our own. We can't bridge that gap, but we have to participate in that that connection with God. Uh, and so, I feel like sometimes when we say, well, I'm going to just focus on prayer this Advent season. And maybe that's where God has you this season. Maybe that's where your growing edge is. But I think that if we just focus on prayer and we don't take the time to, as Paul says, uh, he buffeted his body that he might be worthy of of the crown that God has for him. Uh, if we don't do that, then we're going to end up like Adam, just kind of relaxed and really not making contact. You know, I'm a, I don't really feel like doing much more than sitting here and, and being. But we're called to do, to do, right? We're called to be in relationship with God, and that relationship then urges us. The love of Christ urges us on, and prayer turns into action uh, for the sake of the kingdom. Right, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying that, but we're also the means by which that comes to be. Right. So, I mean, that reminds me of James, right? Faith without works is dead. Oh, he says more than that. He says it's a stinking corpse. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
So we need to have that action, which also I would think goes into the almsgiving portion as well. So there's prayer. We are helping bring ourselves into submission with God, both, well, with the physical act of fasting Mm -hmm. and through prayer. And then, but that also then turns that action toward others. Right. Right. Because we are not in a faith for ourselves. This is not just about our own spiritual benefit. We are part of the whole community. And when we are uh, baptized, we're baptized into the church, into the whole family of God for the good of the whole kingdom of God. And so too, this Lenten practice is for the good of the whole kingdom and not just for ourselves, as we heard in that quote from St. John Chrysostom right there at the beginning. So that, that, I think, is the danger of merely focusing on prayer to the exclusion of fasting and almsgiving, is that we don't actually grow. We end up just kind of spiritually immature, needing to be kind of waited on hand and foot, uh, and just, the, just as an infant would, right? An infant's not going to do anything for himself, uh, needs to have the diaper change, needs to be fed, but maturity... Uh, comes with responsibility as well. Mm-hmm. As the kids grow, they have to do things. They have to do things differently. They have to dress themselves and brush their teeth and get them ready for bed. And the more that they grow, the more that responsibility grows with them. And as we grow in the spiritual life, the same is true for us. So lastly, uh, the the third pillar is almsgiving. And that's the one that we heard uh, talked about in that first reading from St. Leo the Great, Uh, And I think that there is potentially a danger in almsgiving to the exclusion of prayer and fasting as well. Are you intrigued? I am intrigued. (laughs) Go on. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that the danger in in almsgiving uh, comes down to this question of, again, oh, look at what I'm doing the sense of pride. And in fact, mm-hmm. our reading in when we get to Ash Wednesday, every year it's the same. And part of it is do not let your right hand know what your left mm-hmm. hand is doing. Uh, and so we get to this almsgiving place and we say, oh, look at what I'm able to do. Look at the good that I'm able to do. And it kind of turns into almost uh, the, this NGO, this non-governmental organization or, or pub, uh, you know, non-profit organization that, that's just around for for societal good and loses its spiritual potency, Mm -hmm. right? Almsgiving has its power because we're acknowledging that God is the giver of all these good gifts. And therefore, because we have this connection with God and because we have reigned in our appetites and are able to, um, to kind of moderate ourselves and our, our desires, then we can give for the good of others this is a, a giving that, that points to Christ and always points to Christ. And I think that if we try to, to give alms in a way that omits that relationship to God, then we are missing something fundamental about the whole purpose of almsgiving. Mm-hmm. It just becomes tax-deductible gift. <laughs> right. And not really concerned with the dignity of the person who's receiving it, not really concerned with the spirituality, both of 
the the recipient end of the spiritual good that we receive from it. It just becomes kind of a way to stoke our own egos. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that this is the case for every single person. I'm saying that this is a, a danger that we can fall into if we overemphasize almsgiving to the exclusion of these other practices. But when held in concert, these three practices, prayer and fasting and almsgiving, we have the recipe for fruitful spiritual growth. Because one, we are centered on growing in relationship with God. This connection to God is the goal. This growth in the spirit is the goal, the the prayer But then the fasting where we say, you know what, I recognize that not every one of my desires is going to lead me to a place where I am going to have the success that I want in that connection to God. So I'm going to fast to show one, to show myself that I am capable of surviving without feeding every single hunger and appetite that I have, right? So I'm going to fast uh, my my desires and my appetites so that I can be fed with what really matters. So we have prayer and we have fasting and then almsgiving where we recognize that it's not our own effort through the fasting that really matters. It is our connection to God and to our community that, that makes a difference that we are not isolated and alone, but we are members of the family of God. We have responsibilities to the whole family of God, and not just to ourselves. And so as you're coming into this early on here in this season of Lent, I want to encourage you to spend some time and re-examine what have I chosen to do for my Lenten practices this year? How am I communicating with my children what they should pick up as their practices for their Lenten uh, observance this year? and re-examine if there might be some tweaks that you need to make in order to hold these three, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, in in their proper relationship to one another for your Lenten observance this year. Kristen, thanks for taking the time to talk with me today. Of course, love. If you missed any part of my conversation with my darling bride, Kristen Putnam, or you want to go back and listen to the episode again, or share it with your friends on social media Have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And if you just can't get enough of this, well, I've got good news. There is more. Each and every week we record an extra segment that is available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. We have a great Patreon support community that helps keep us on the air week after week. And in gratitude, week after week, we give them extra segments And lately, we've been doing some video segments, so that's a lot of fun. If you just want to see my bald head and say, oh, that's what the guy looks like, well, uh, good news, you can do that by coming over to our Patreon uh, support page. You get there by going to OutsideTheWalls.com, clicking on the link in the top right-hand corner of the page that says Patreon-support-the-show, and there you can find out more information about that community, including how to be a part of it. Now let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. 
That's the sound of our Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching, putting the magisterium at your fingertips by linking Scripture to the catechism, to the fathers and the doctors of the church, ecclesial documents, and biblical commentaries, and so much more. You can learn more about Verbum and how to get your own library at Verbum.com. Our reading from Scripture today comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 58. This is the first reading in March 5th, the Saturday after Ash Wednesday. And we hear the prophet say, Thus says the Lord, If you remove from your midst oppression, false accusation, and malicious speech, if you bestow your bread on the hungry and satisfy the afflicted, then... Light shall rise for you in the darkness, and the gloom shall become for you like midday. Then the Lord will guide you always and give you plenty, even on the parched land. He will renew your strength, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring whose water never fails. The ancient ruins shall be rebuilt for your sake, and the foundations from ages past you shall raise up. Repairer of the breach, they shall call you. Restorer of ruined homesteads. If you hold back your foot on the Sabbath from following your own pursuits on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's day honorable, If you honor it by not following your ways, seeking your own interests, or speaking with malice, then you shall delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will nourish you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That reading again comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 58. And the church gives us this reading right at the very beginning of Lent because it kind of encapsulates these three pillars, again, of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. We see here at the very beginning, first couple of verses, if you remove from your midst oppression, false accusation, and malicious speech, and I'm going to frame this as fasting. And I've heard a lot of people talking about, well, you know, we don't we don't really fast from sin. And of course, oppression, false accusation, and malicious speech are sin. We fast from things that are are typically good for us. We fast from food um, so that we can see the thing that is, is even better. And I agree, except I'm going to frame it a little bit differently here. I think that this is specifically in the idea of fasting, this of the three pillars, because it it revolves around controlling one's own appetites, right? We have this kind of of desire to defend ourselves, this kind of self-importance or this self-indulgence that often expresses itself in lifting ourselves up by pushing someone else down, right? Uh, We see it all the time, even all the way down to little children who just kind of naturally do this, uh, pointing fingers or lying or blaming someone else, false accusation, malicious speech. Uh, It's thankfully a little bit more mild in toddlers, but as we grow older, we tend to get better at it, by which I mean we tend to get worse at it. We tend to uh, behave in ways that, that that really does enter into a very sinful territory. 
And so because that's our natural desire for us to say, I am going to control those appetites, control those desires, subjugate them uh, to the will of God, I'm going to put this, therefore, in the category of, of this fast. So if you remove from your midst depression, false accusation, malicious speech, we're going to call that the fasting, even though it's not one-to-one correlation. Then the second verse, if you bestow your bread on the hungry and satisfy the afflicted. So here we're moving right into almsgiving. Then light shall rise for you in the darkness and the gloom shall become for you like midday and the Lord will guide you always. Here we come into prayer. We come into communion with God. And so here we have in, in the book of the prophet Isaiah, this foreshadowing of these three things and the interconnectedness of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, that our connection to God is in some ways dependent upon the the controlling of our own appetites and in the care for others. This doesn't mean that the the, the fasting and the almsgiving produce that good connection. Uh, they are not, this connection with God is not as a result of our own effort. And yet those two components are, I believe, necessary for a mature communion with God. So we're going to talk, philosophically, we're going to talk about necessary but not sufficient. There are certain things that are contingent. They are necessary uh, to the recipe, to the makeup of what follows, but they are not sufficient for it. It, it, it. They don't bring it about in and of themselves, but without them, it is impossible or at least very difficult to achieve those same results. Right. So let's talk about um, necessary and sufficient in the sense of, <laughs> in the sense of making uh, pancakes, right? So we've got this recipe for pancakes and it requires uh, baking powder. And if you don't put that in, they just don't turn out right. Something's off with them. Uh, And so that baking powder is not sufficient to make the pancakes. There have to be other things there in the mix, but it is a necessary ingredient. So to our prayer and our fasting and our almsgiving, they are all necessary components of this Lenten fast for us to achieve that communion with God that we so deeply need. So um, here we have this foreshadowed that God is saying, if you do these things, then my presence will be with you. Then you will experience the justice of the Lord rising as the noonday. Then uh, you shall delight in the Lord and I will make you right on the heights of the earth. So we see here this call to us to seek justice, to seek right, to seek those things that um, that predispose us for that communion with God as necessary, even if they're not sufficient, necessary components of our practice, our Lenten practice in this case. Our reading from church history comes from a sermon by St. Gregory of Nazianzen. Recognize to whom you owe the fact that you exist, that you breathe, that you understand, that you are wise, and above all, that you know God and hope for the kingdom of heaven and the vision of glory, now darkly as in a mirror, but then with greater fullness and purity. 
You have been made a son of God, co-heir with Christ. Where did you get all this, and from whom? Let me turn to what is of less importance, the visible world around us. What benefactor has enabled you to look upon the beauty of the sky, the sun in its course, the circle of the moon, the countless number of stars with the harmony and order that are theirs, like the music of a harp? Who has blessed you with rain, with the art of husbandry, with the different kinds of food, with the arts, with houses, with laws, with states, with the life of humanity and culture, with friendship, and the easy familiarity of kinship. Who has given you dominion over animals, those who are tame and those who provide you with food? Who has made you the Lord and master of everything on earth? In short, who has endowed you with all that makes man superior to all other living creatures? Is it not God who asks you now in your turn to show yourself generous above all other creatures and for the sake of all other creatures. Because we have received from him so many wonderful gifts, we must not be ashamed to refuse him the one thing only, our generosity. Though he is God and Lord, he is not afraid to be known as our Father, Shall we, for our part, repudiate those who are our kith and kin? Brethren and friends, let us never allow ourselves to misuse what has been given to us by God's gift. If we do, we shall hear St. Peter say, Be ashamed of yourself for holding on to what belongs to someone else. Resolve to imitate God's justice, and no one will be poor. Let us not labor to heap up and hoard riches while others remain in need. If we do, the prophet Amos will speak out against us with sharp and threatening words. Come now, you that say, when will the new moon be over so that we may start selling? When will the Sabbath be over so that we may start opening our treasures? Let us put into practice the supreme and primary law of God. He sends down rain on the just and sinful alike, and causes the sun to rise on all without distinction. To all the earth's creatures, he has given the broad earth, the springs, the rivers, and the forests. He has given the air to the birds and the waters to those who live in the water. He has given abundantly to all the basic needs of life, not as a private possession, not restricted by law, not divided by boundaries, but as common to all amply and in rich measure. His gifts are not deficient in any way because he wanted to give equality of blessing to equality of worth and to show the abundance of his generosity. That reading comes from a sermon by St. Gregory of Nazianzen and encourages us to examine ourselves and to say, how can I, in response to the generosity of God, practice generosity myself. Let's go ahead and pick up this Lenten practice of almsgiving and keeping it in balance, not just fasting, not just praying, but also being active in our generosity and in our giving. That is all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's show was brought to you uh, by Carrie Carlson and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link to learn more and to join their numbers. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.